Genesis chapter 50, our theme this year is, Lord, increase our faith. We've taken the past few weeks and looked at the lives of those mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. This morning we want to look at the faith of Joseph. We'll be reading in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, and ending at verse 26. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. They sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said to them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But it is for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw that Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brethren, I die. God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you. And ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. I want you to turn with me while keeping your finger there in Genesis 50. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. We'll read one verse, verse 22. This story, this chapter, the whole of faith, speaks of Joseph and only dedicates one verse to his life. It says in verse 22, By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. 25% of the book of Genesis is dedicated to the life of Joseph. But when he's mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11, not a word is mentioned about being sold into slavery or how he kept the faith in the house of Potiphar or not even all those decades spent in the palace. None of that is mentioned, but rather a command that he made when on his deathbed, speaking of his bones and asking or rather commanding them to take his bones to the promised land. That's the only thing that's mentioned. Now I want you to look at his life, look at his faith, and look at the reason that was highlighted here in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to speak on enduring faith because when we look at Joseph's faith, that's really what comes to mind. How do you keep the faith for 93 years in these circumstances? When you're hated by your brethren, sold into slavery, then uh, while you're doing right and helping someone else become prosperous, you're falsely accused, cast into prison, forgotten. Usually, those ingredients produce bitterness and anger in the life of the average person. Not in Joseph's life. We see him, despite all of those circumstances, 
with a persistent and a consistent faith that overcame. Actually, I've heard people use the word survive. I believe he wasn't surviving, but thriving despite the circumstances. And I think if we would have seen this story, read about his life, and observed Joseph in his old age is a bitter, hateful, spiteful person, we probably would have been understanding and said, you know what? If you would have spent 10 or 12 years in those circumstances, if you were hated by your own family, if you were sold by your own brethren, and then imagine this, just the thought of a sleazy woman tempting someone to fall into adultery, and when she is resisted, she accuses Joseph of attempted rape. He could have been sitting in that prison trying to manipulate his circumstances, trying to appeal to the warden, living a frustrated and bitter life, but we see none of that. To the contrary, he is overcoming his circumstances through faith, and we want to speak about that. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 50, and I want you to see, starting at verse 20, several different principles found in this chapter concerning Joseph's faith. Number one, enduring faith has 50-20 vision. Now, a few months ago, I was coming to Mark on a regular basis and complaining about our screens. I said, Mark, we need to, to up the clarity because things are just constantly blurry. And he said, Preacher, you need to get glasses. Those screens are crystal clear. And he loaned me his glasses one day. That didn't work, so I borrowed Devin's glasses. And suddenly the screens were clear. Are, are those clear to you? That probably means you have 20-20 vision. And I went to the doctor and I found out that I was no longer young and no longer had 20-20 of vision. But when we talk about 50-20 vision, that means that someone can see letters and read at 50 yards what the average person could read at 20 yards. That means someone has pretty good vision. And look at Joseph's vision because it's pretty crystal clear when we see what he says about his circumstances in verse 20. Actually, let's go back to verse 19. Understanding here that Joseph's brethren are fearful. They think with Jacob's death that Joseph's motivation for forgiving them was simply for the sake of his father. They didn't understand this was because Joseph was a forgiving person. He was Christ-like in his character. So they're fearing for their life. They're thinking now that dad's dead, he's going to kill us or enslave us or seek vengeance. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, fear not. For am I in the place of God, but as for you, ye thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good. This is 50-20 vision. Now I want to say this. This is not something he was just saying at the end of his life. Now that he's been in the palace for decades, now that he's overcome his circumstances, now that he's seen God's blessings fall, no, from the minute he was sold into slavery, he wasn't sullen, he wasn't sunk in despair. He wasn't sitting around saying, God has forsaken me. He knew from the beginning, God has a plan for my life, and that plan is sovereign. Providence comes from a Latin word, providentia. Pro means before or ahead of time. Videntia means to see. So providence is speaking of seeing something ahead of time. God does that. As men, we can't do that. We simply have to trust that God knows what he's doing. And Joseph, in the midst of these circumstances, says, God meant it for good. Now, if you're a Christian and you're going to survive the trials and tragedies of life, you better walk in before you ever face a trial and say, 
I know that God has everything under control. He is sovereign, absolutely sovereign over these circumstances. And although man may mean it for evil, God can still use it for good. If you don't go into those circumstances, you will be crushed by them. Your faith will waver. How many times have we seen people become angry and bitter with God? Leave church because they suffered something they couldn't understand. Now go back with me to Genesis chapter 39 for a minute. And I want you to see Joseph's faith despite his circumstances. Joseph was thriving when hated by his brethren. Thriving when sold into slavery. Here we find him in chapter 39 working in the house of Potiphar as a slave. Look what it says in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. And let me just say this. In the midst of our trials, how many of you have ever heard someone as they went through a crisis and they asked, where's God in all of this? He's right there in the middle of all this. Joseph could have asked the same question. We see God was with Joseph, verse 2. He was prosperous. He was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master, even an unsaved man, serving heathen gods, saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now, how many of you see that Joseph wasn't sitting around feeling sorry for himself? Wait a minute, Joseph. Isn't this the moment when you're supposed to be depressed and despondent and frustrated and angry and bitter? Your brothers put you here. Your family hated you enough to sell you as a slave. You shouldn't be here. Those thoughts were not crossing his mind. God had his hand on Joseph, was blessing him. Verse 4, Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. Verse 5, it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. I'm fearful in Christianity that too many come to the place where they're simply satisfied with survival. I'm going to survive another day. My marriage will survive another month. That should not be the mindset of any Christian. We should be thriving. And if you have faith in an almighty God, a sovereign God that knows what he's doing, you'll be able to say as Joseph, God is in total control of my circumstance. He was blessing this Egyptian for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Now, let's jump down to verse 21. After he's falsely accused and cast into prison, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Here's what we got to understand. Joseph is sitting in these circumstances and it's in the crisis that we begin to doubt, we begin to question, we begin to waver. Do you honestly think that someone that is working as a slave and they're watching God bless and work and move and prosper this house and suddenly he's falsely accused and he's thinking, when I go to trial, the truth will come out. Surely, someone will stand up 
in my defense, surely this man knows my character. He's trusted me in every aspect. He even trusted me with his wife. And then God doesn't come through, seemingly doesn't come through, and allows him to be cast into prison. And then in the prison, he is so blessed that the warden at some point hands him the keys and says, hey, I'm going to go on vacation. Would you just make sure that everything is good while I'm gone? And he's saying, okay, God once again is showing grace and favor in my life. And suddenly he reveals the dreams of these two men. They get out, promise him help, and totally forget about him. Don't you think at some point you're going to be discouraged and frustrated and disappointed with God? You are if you don't have 50-20 vision. You are if you're not looking at the bigger picture. You are if you're not looking down the road and saying, God has some purpose in mind. I can't understand it at this moment. I can't fathom it because even in these circumstances, look at how Joseph speaks in chapter 40, verse 8. When asked, about a dream. They said to him, we have dreamed a dream and there's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Had his faith wavered? Absolutely not. Look at chapter 41, verse 16. When a Pharaoh has a dream, Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, speaking of the dream and the interpretation of it, it is not in me, but what? God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh. Verse 32, and for that the dream was doubled into Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. What is Joseph saying? God's in control. God knows the future. God can give you the interpretation. His faith was not shaken because we see something found in chapter 50, verse 20, that said, God knows what he is doing. And if you don't have that same mindset, when you come to the trials of life, your faith will be shaken. You won't endure. Look what he says in chapter 45, verse 5. When first meeting with his brethren, look at how he responds to them. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before. He said, listen, you didn't send me to Egypt. God sent me. He sent me on a journey. He sent me with a purpose. That purpose was to help people and to preserve lives. Verse 7. God sent me before you. He said, listen, you've got this all mixed up. You know why you're fearful. You know why you're sad. You know why you're asking for forgiveness. Because you think you did me an injustice. You think you sent me here to Egypt. You didn't do that. God in his sovereign will ordained this to happen, allowed it to happen, and now has used it for good. God sent me before you to preserve you of posterity in the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. That's 50-20 vision. And if you do not have this understanding and this biblical mindset, at some point in life you will face a tragedy or a trial so severe, you'll say, God, why are you doing this? Instead of saying, God is doing this with a purpose in mind. And it doesn't matter that we live on a sin-cursed planet and that man may intend evil. God can still take that evil and use it for good. 
Bottom line is, do you trust God's character? How many of you believe God's character is omnipotent, omniscient? How many of you believe God is love and grace, but in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of the heartache, we begin to doubt God's character? Joseph said, I refuse to do that. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 50. I want to see number two. Look what it says. Let's start with verse 19. Joseph said to them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for me, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and he spake kindly unto them. Here's enduring faith. I want you to listen to this carefully. Enduring faith keeps helping and loving and forgiving and nourishing and comforting and speaking kindly uh, even in the midst of crisis. I want you to think for just a minute about your faith. Faith without works is what? Let's go over there here for just a minute. We have the time. James chapter 2. James 2.17, even so faith, if it hath not works, this is verse 17, it's dead, being alone. Now we're speaking of enduring faith, a faith that'll make it to the end of your life, a faith that'll be consistent and persistent despite the trials and tragedies of life. So if your faith is dead or has died, it has not endured. You know what that is? That's a faith that is stopped working. Now look what it says in verse 15. Here's the context. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. You know what Christianity is about? Remember the lawyer that comes to Christ. What's the great commandment? And Christ says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And then he says, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Now here's what we like to do that Christianity in this day and age is a lot of talk and very little action. Let me ask you, who are you serving? Who are you helping? Now, if we can't do this in good times, it's amazing to think that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this generation, with all the financial success that we have experienced over the past few decades, we have in excess, we have the vacation, we have nice homes, we have nice vehicles, we have nice clothes, we have a bank account and a savings account. We have everything in our favor, but despite living in these circumstances, we still can't find it in us to help those that need help. Sacrifice something in our savings account. It wouldn't pull food off our table. It wouldn't change our style of living. Now, if in these circumstances, we can't find ways to help and serve and encourage and comfort and nourish, how are we going to, in the midst of the trial, reach out because it's usually in the trial that we become tense and frustrated, reactionary and hurtful. Now, let me ask you this. How was Joseph's faith 
in the pit, in the prison, in Potiphar's house. His faith was strong enough that he was still working and loving and serving even when she falsely accused him. There was no bitter reaction. Even in the prison, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is when Joseph sees his fellow companion and, and prisoners there and they're sad and he looks at them and asks, why are you so sad? Dad, Joseph, we're in prison. I mean, haven't you seen our circumstances? Did you eat lunch today? No, we didn't either. Joseph, what did you sleep on? Where have you been living? Don't you live with us? How can you smile under these circumstances? But Joseph didn't even expect people to frown in prison. His faith was thriving, but he was helping and serving in the crisis. Now, let me ask you this. If your faith is not strong enough to reach out to people during good circumstances, how do you expect to react in the trials of life? If you can't help the needy or the less fortunate when you have in excess... If you can't reach out and be a comfort to those when life is treating you well, if you can't smile when you have coffee to drink and the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you just can't smile. Here in these circumstances, we find a lively faith. And I can't imagine Joseph had never showed any ill will towards his brethren. So I don't know if there's anything that we like less in life than being falsely accused. So if he has treated them with great kindness, all this time his dad passes away and they come. Now when this verse says that Joseph wept before them, why was he weeping? Now this, this was not a man concerned with himself. He was constantly concerned with others. But maybe he was weeping thinking, why would you think that I'm going to react this isn't about dad. This wasn't about his earthly father. His forgiveness was not about his earthly father. His forgiveness was tied to his heavenly father. And his dad might have died, but God was still on the throne. And he said, as long as there's a God in heaven, I will forgive you. I will nourish you. And he speaks kindly to them and comforts them. And he asks them, I may be second to Pharaoh. But I am not in the place of God. You better be careful, Christians. If you have a lively, active faith, you understand God's on the throne, and it's never your job, your duty, or your right to seek vengeance or play God. If your faith is alive and active, you'll say, when someone mistreats me, when someone does me wrong, there is a God in heaven. He will render justice. I will allow him to do that, and I won't put justice in my own hands your faith is active, you will be actively seeking people to help and to encourage and to comfort and to nourish. And too many Christians live in a little island called selfishness. Now let me ask you this. Who are you serving? Who are you reaching out to? How many people do we see as pastors? Well, you didn't call them. You didn't help. You didn't... If you want to help, help someone. If you want encouragement, encourage someone. If you want your needs met, go meet a need. Well, preacher, I can't believe 4th of July and no one in the church even invited me out. Go invite someone out. You do have a phone. 
Well, I just sat at home and had to go buy pre-made potato salad from the grocery store. And I was hoping that someone else would invite me out to barbecue. You need to barbecue that sorry spirit. Pick yourself up and decide my life is not about being ministered to, but to minister to. You don't have enduring faith if your faith is without works. How many people have seen a need? And Christians have become professionals at ignoring needs. That would cost me something. That would cost me time and money that I don't have. And here's Joseph in the midst of tragedy, still reaching out and comforting and nourishing and helping and speaking kindly and forgiving. And here's his question. Do you really think that I want to take God's job upon myself and try to issue justice? No. I have no desire to do that. I want you to see number three. Go with me to verse 24. Joseph said to his brethren, I die. Look at the anticipation. Look at the faith. God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land and to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and he shall carry up my bones from hence. I want you to see number three. Enduring faith is a faith that runs as deep as the bones. Ninety-three years in Egypt. He died at 110, at least nine decades. Joseph had lived in this country, and his faith had never wavered. He had not become attached to Egypt. Listen, at this point, he could have had a pyramid built and had his body placed under that pyramid, he could have been buried there like the rest of the pharaohs. But he said, I am not an Egyptian. I am a child of God. And he said, God made a promise. Now, he had believed God's promise way back when he had those dreams. And the sheaves did obeisance to his sheep. And then he dreamt of the stars and the sun and the moon. And they all did obeisance to him. And he didn't have to interpret the dream. His brethren, his family knew the interpretation, were angered by it. Matter of fact, his own dad rebuked him. You may have those kind of dreams, but you, need, you don't need to tell us about those kind of dreams. But Joseph knew, despite the improbability, despite the impossibility, God would fulfill his promise. And now that he is a leader, God knows that promise was made back to Abraham. Go back with me. We preached on Abram and his faith several weeks ago. But go back with me in Genesis 15. Let's reread this. Now remember, Joseph had not heard this direct from God. This had been repeated by his parents. The promise that was made to Abraham. Genesis 15, verse 13. When God made his covenant with Abram, he made this promise. He said to Abram, now know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger of the land that is not theirs. They shall serve them. They shall afflict them for 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with a great substance. So Joseph knew according to God's promise, we will be here. We will be afflicted. But at some point, God will take his people into the promised land. So here's what he told them. When I die, put me in a casket, but don't put me in the ground. 
don't put me in a pyramid. Because I am not an Egyptian. I don't want to die as an Egyptian. He had had a position and power and fame and wealth. But they didn't have him. His heart was set on leaving Egypt. And his faith was practical. And here's what we don't like. We don't want a practical faith. Joseph could not have made a more bold statement. He couldn't have taken a bigger practical step to help the children of Israel get to the promised land than this. He said, you get a casket, you put my bones in there, and you keep it above ground. So that way, when some wealthy Israelite that has made fame and fortune here in Egypt, when he sees that coffin, when he sees those bones, he says, Egypt is not my home. God has something bigger and better for us, and he wants us to leave here at some point. Now look at Exodus chapter 13 for just a minute. When they leave Egypt, let's see what they do. They keep their promise. Exodus 13 verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Those bones that the people had been looking at for 210 years. He had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Joseph said, listen, I don't want anything I have to stay in Egypt. I want you to be focused on the promised land, and I want out of here. And they kept that promise. Now go with me to Joshua because they ended up in the promised land, Joshua chapter 24. There was nothing that Joseph could have done that would have been a greater message. Can you imagine 40 years in the wilderness and they're carrying around that coffin with those bones? Can you imagine those Israelites, million plus, that died in the wilderness and they had to say, those bones are going to make it to the promised land, and we're not. That had to be discouraging. <laughs> Joshua 24, 32. What were those children saying in the wilderness? What's that box for? Those are Joseph's bones. Why do we have Joseph's bones? Because he wanted to go to the promised land. And we're going to take them there. Verse 32, the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried there in Shechem. Joseph's bones are finally buried in the promised land 250 years later. Now, here's the most amazing part of that. Joseph died in faith. 90 plus years in Egypt. He had survived Potiphar's house and the false accusation in prison and being forgotten. He even survived, understand this, in the palace. He's surrounded by heathen, worshiping heathen gods. Yet his faith stayed true. And often, faith's greatest attack is success, not poverty. So, we see he has everything in life, but despite... Egypt and all of its benefits, it did not affect his faith. But here's what I want you to see before we close. In death, his faith was just as strong as it was, or stronger than it was, as a young man who just received the promise of God. He dies in faith. But here's what I want you to see. Remember Joseph had two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. And their mother was an Egyptian. Not just an Egyptian, 
but a priestess. She was raised among the heathen. Now, man, you know that as a man, we don't care much about the pleasures and the fancier things of life. My wife has asked me before, if uh, we weren't married, would you have a house like this? And I told her, honestly, babe, not a chance. Would you have a bedroom set like this? No. I would have a fishing boat to replace that bedroom set. I would have something set up in the backyard where I could shoot skeet. I would have something rather than this house because for a man that doesn't matter much. But imagine his wife growing up with the Egyptian lifestyle and her husband is rich and famous and powerful. She has everything her heart could desire. She's going to all the parties. She's looked at as the queen of society. And here's what Joseph says. If I don't make a bold statement, my two sons will be drawn away by Egypt and its pool. And when it's time to go, my sons will stay said, I've got to make a bold statement. He said, he gathered his family and friends together and said, when I die, you don't put my bones under the ground. You don't put them in a pyramid. You take my bones out of here. I am not an Egyptian and I don't want to die as an Egyptian. I am God's child and I want to go to the promised land. Imagine if he had not done this where his sons would have ended up. Mama would have said, this is your home. This is your life. You are more Egyptian than you are Israelite. Why is it that these two boys ended up as two of the tribes of Israel? Because they had a dad that said, I will live by faith. I will die by faith. An enduring faith. Let me ask you this. I've watched people for a year or two years take incredible steps by faith. And then they take steps backwards. How many people have we seen start by faith but not die by faith? Joseph had an enduring faith. If you don't have 50-20 vision and if you don't live saying God is a sovereign God in total control of my circumstances, and if you don't have a faith that runs as deep as your bones and you say, I want to die in faith and I want my children to know they had a daddy, they had a mama willing to die in faith. And Joseph said, don't you think Manasseh, Ephraim, I, I can't imagine these talks as he sat with him. Dad, what are you doing? Dad, if they're building these pyramids, surely one of these is yours. No, it's not. What are you going to do? I want you to put them in a casket, and I want you to keep it above ground, and I want you to carry it around as a reminder that I am not an Egyptian, and I refuse to die as an Egyptian. I want out of here. And if you don't have that kind of faith, at some point it will affect your kids in a negative way. And they'll be so caught up with Egypt by the time they're 50, their life is nothing about the promised land, but rather about the silly lifestyle of Egypt. I doubt Mama ever understood that. I can imagine there was a few arguments in Joseph's household. That woman's name was actually Potiphar, and I'm sure she said, Joseph, I want you to rethink this. Let him build a pyramid for you. You can die famous. And he said, no, I'd rather die in faith. And 
and two boys. Their kids years later walked out of Egypt and into the promised land because they had a dad that said, I want to die in faith. 